Is there a way to turn this up? Should I do that? I think that's good. Is this good for rock and roll? It was. Okay. Hello, everyone. Hello. Welcome. Thanks for coming to the inaugural lunchtime poetry event here at the Bird Library. I want to thank Dean David Seaman for agreeing to support what was altogether a, um, a foggy idea, which is where poetry lives in the land of the foggy. Uh, he provided a foundation for this, recognizing that a library should in fact be a place for uh, celebratory words. And this room is really in the heart of our community. So it's great to be here and great to get this series started. An idea came to me uh, because I saw that Berkeley at University of California had a wonderful lunchtime poetry series in their library. And it's been going on for years. And I thought, well, by gosh, Let's be Berkeley East. <laughs> We've got a lot of great poets in this town, both at Syracuse University, working in various parts of the university, and also in our broader community and communities. And so it's my hope that this series will go forward and that we can bring in all kinds of folks from our surrounding area. Uh, I forgot to say I'm Steve Cousisto. I teach here at Syracuse <coughs> University, across the university, in different departments. I'm an American poet, essayist, memoirist, sometimes journalist. And uh, I'm uh, very pleased to be the sort of inaugural, um, what to say, ringmaster uh, for this event. It is my pleasure to introduce to you Jackie Warren Moore, who is uh, going to be the very first person to read for this series. Uh, many of you already know Jackie's work, but she's a poet, playwright, theatrical director, teacher, freelance writer. Uh, and she is uh, known internationally and internationally. Uh, she is also, as she has said, a survivor uh, who has survived racism, sexism, sexual abuse, and physical abuse. She regards her poetic voice as the roadmap of her survival, a way of healing herself and of speaking to the souls of others. She has said, quote, I believe I have an obligation to speak up and celebrate what is right in the world and to shout out about what is wrong in the world in the hopes that we may all work together to make it right for us all. Jackie is published by Nine Mile Press, which publishes the magazine Nine Mile and, uh, and a book series. We've received grants from the New York State Council on the Arts, the Community Foundation, Central New York Arts uh, of Onondaga County. Her books have been ordered internationally, including from Paris. Uh, at the end of the uh, second part of the reading, I'll talk a little bit about the books that are here today. So without further ado, Jackie Warren Moore. Thank you, Steve. <clears throat> Can you guys hear me? Okay. Um, I'm really pleased to be here. And it's been a long time since I've been in Bird Library, but I'm really happy to be here. And thank you guys for sharing your lunch hour with us. Um, I'm going to jump right in and read. This is the book. Hey! hey. <laughs> <laughs> He's such a character. This first piece is called On the Occasion of the Passing of Civility. No, please. No, thank you. Excuse me. How can I help you? No eye contact beyond the cut of an eye, a sneer, and the flip of the, of the bird. We have lost each other. 
in a boiling sea of meanness and indifference. No kind words to connect us, no holding open the door, holding out a neighborly hand to steady us. No touch of comfort or healing. We hit and run, plunder and hide the mean spirit of our rage. We have lost touch in the crush of humanity, the bleeding sore of our greed. We have lost it. The soft shoulder to lean on, warmth of kindness, the healing of a simple hello, a smile, affirmation. We have lost it, watched it stumble wounded and moaning into the abyss. We have lost the meaning of civility. In remembrance, respect, and regret, let us reach out our hands once more and say simply, welcome. Thank you. You guys can hold your applause till the end. I, I appreciate it, though. Uh, she wears red. She bangs hard on the door just outside my consciousness. This wild woman I am becoming. Let me in, open up, she screams, wearing a long blue dress of dreams I discarded. I try to ignore her. Go about everyday duties, a list that must be followed. She keeps showing me new ways to be me, lessons I forgot. She wears red and says she is staking a claim to beauty. Drops people like bad habits, cutting hurt from her body, carving a new switch to her step. More bounce for the ounce, she says. More cushion for the pushing. She is a vulgar girl, knows just what she wants, throws her head back and laughs out loud. She is something, this new girl I almost was. Open up, she says. Be me again, the girl you were afraid of. Wear red again, wear your hair down. Black and gray hair you earned with the passion you stored inside. Open up, she says, this wild woman I am becoming. Open up and welcome this woman we are. Okay. I always tell people not to clap, and then when it gets quiet, I say, what happened? <laughs> <laughs> oh, what happened? Uh, this, uh, this is written for a friend of mine um, who passed way, way, way too soon from AIDS. Yes, the body remembers. When the brain wishes to forget, thin snatch of song hummed up from the back of your past. The times they are changing, or a certain whir in the atmosphere, the way the air hits the shin, a certain jig in the walk, a step that reminds us of all we lost to time, sickness and ignorance, the body remembers all the way to the bone, pain, pleasure etched into the marrow. Slick glide of time over lives connected by threads we are too blind to see, too sophisticated to acknowledge. The body remembers. Quick flash of tingle in the back to synapse, tiny pause between conscious thought, feeling surface. The body asserts, come back, come back. Come back to the feeling. Let the body remember, feel again, all she has forgotten, all she continues to hold on to. Yes, she remembers. Um, this is called Games. I wrote this, I gotta tell you this real quick. I think it was Nottingham. There was a young boy that was playing basketball 
in, in a tournament, and he, he died on the court. He had a heart attack and died on the court, and this poem comes from that. Games. Nobody ever told me how fast the game was played, how it could end on the pump, pump, pump of a heartbeat. No one ever said that the days, months, years shoot by like comets and become fixed in a night sky constellation you can only gaze at. Everybody neglected to say what each card meant, how it got dealt, the consequences of folding way too soon. Nobody put up signs. Nothing popped up on all the right roads suddenly turned treacherous. Nobody ever told me lessons flew by, and I didn't take notes, bogarted my way into the game, bluffed my stuff, parlayed my hand into a trump. I survived, weaving and dodging, running blindly, steadily moving from one card to the next, house full of cards I prayed would never come tumbling down upon my unbowed head. Nobody ever told me you leave the game with what you brought in, held tight in your fist, in your heart, but naked and palm open, nothing sticks. Everything falls away. Nobody ever told me love was the only right answer to questions I didn't know to ask. Nobody ever told me how it could all begin on the pump, pump, pump of a heartbeat. Each beat, a new hand, another chance to begin, to love, to play the game. <clears throat> I'm telling all these stories, but uh, I did a reading once and somebody, a woman came up to me afterwards and she said, oh, you are so mean. <laughs> and I think of myself in lots of ways, but I don't, I don't think of myself as mean. My kids say I'm pure marshmallow, you know, but this lady thought I was mean, so I wrote Ms. Mean. They call me mean. I'm not mean, just very self-assured. They say I'm hard on furniture, busting it up and tossing it away. They say I'm hard on life, riding it roughshod right into the ground. They say I'm hard on men, chewing them up and spitting out what's not real. They say I'm too heavy, flesh heavy, word heavy. I'll make a lightheaded man cry. They call me ugly, but my mirror keeps flashing proud. They call me lazy, but I know what work best suits a queen. They call me too much, but I see myself as just plenty. They call me too hot, too cold, too hard to hold. They keep trying to chip away, casting far-flung adjectives and epithets. They call me lots of things, but most of them have never met a fully grown black woman before. Um, I think I'm going to read one more poem. This is a... <clears throat> where I come from. I am from Boogaloo Blues, backyard barbecues and too much booze. I am from summer days beneath the same peach tree I wish my stepfather hung from. Intoxicating smell of peach blossoms, impending death at age eight, filling my nostrils. I am from a time of waiting, waiting for the world to change, waiting to change the world. I am from back closet beatings with leather belts rolled over ashy fists. I am from raised eye hand clasped Catholic mass, crusted over welts on the back of my fat thighs. I am from screaming nights and broken bottles. I am from the shifting sands, hands of stepfathers I wish I never knew. I am from way deep sobs on cardboard hill, the world shifting beneath my feet. I am from ancient murderous thoughts and primitive fear. I am from Boogaloo Blues, Backyard Barbecues, and Too Much Booze.
Um, I'd like to end with reading a part of the uh, foreword to this, this book. And uh, it's, it's, I talk about Syracuse University in the 70s, and I'm very happy to say that it is a very different university today than it was in the 70s. Not, that does not mean we still don't have some work to do, but it is very different than it was in the 70s. I come from a long line of women who are speakers, women who planted their feet firmly on Mother Earth and spoke out, women who have spoken out to praise and sustain what was right in their world, Women who balled their fists, prepared for battle, and screamed out against injustice. I was destined to be a speaker. My history, my family, my own sense of placement in the world would not let me shirk the job. My grandmother, Louise Lee, an ancestor I never had the opportunity to meet, set the tone. From all accounts, she was a big, bold woman with strong opinions. Grandma Louise was prohibited by her family from marrying my grandfather, Harry Lee, back, in, back around 1915 because he was too dark. She planted her feet, covered every inch she stood on, and made her own decision. My mother, Lita Mae Lee, was born from that decision. If any doubt remained regarding my own destiny, the events of a summer evening in 1970 dispelled it. My mother and I were driving through a well-known strip of bars and restaurants on the Syracuse University campus. As we passed one of the more popular night spots, we saw that a crowd had gathered. At the center of the crowd lay a young black man. His body lay in the road with his neck pressed against the curb as, as if it were a pillow under him. A tall, young white man stood with his foot pressed down on the man's neck. Three or four other young white men urged the one to break his neck. My mother's reaction was immediate. She slammed on the brakes, threw the car in park, and said simply, come on. She got out of the car and opened the trunk, reached in, and pulled out two tire irons. She handed one to me. She raised her tire iron to her shoulder and quickly stepped into the crowd. I held mine tightly and followed. My mother demanded that the young white man back off and release the black man. The crowd was silent. The man looked at the two of us. Perhaps he was surprised to see two tire iron-wielding black women, or perhaps they, he, they were surprised to hear someone voice an objection to what they were about to do. Whatever they thought, the man removed his foot. The black man, my mother and I, moved slowly back to the car. As we drove away from the staring crowd, my mother laughed and said, that was a close one. She, she, she began to talk to the young man about the ways black people had to survive in those trying times as she drove him home. I sat in the back seat, shaking. It was then that I knew that I could not make my mark in the world in the same way that was second nature to my mother. I admired my mother for her guts, strength, and wisdom. I wanted to imitate the way she served the community. I realized my weapon of choice was words, and I have been writing ever since. To shut my mouth and sit silently by, as some would have me do, is to suffer many deaths. I choose life and must therefore speak. As Audre Lorde, noted poet, sister, ancestor, has said, your silence will not save you. And even Helen Keller, another woman who might have been silenced, tells us, life is either a daring adventure or nothing at all. So I speak. I speak about what I see and what I feel and do as a black woman in today's world. I try to make connections, the connection that honest words of communication are capable of between listening hearts. I believe poetry cuts through all the societal BS that keeps human beings apart. My mother used to tell me, there are no new feelings under the sun. 
Beneath the skin, class, and lies that separate us, we are all the same. It is only open hearts, open hands, and communication that will connect and save us all. So I speak. I try to speak and, to, and pass on the courage and the art of speaking to my daughters, my grandsons, granddaughters, and anyone else who will listen. There have been detractors, those who would have my big woman voice couched in their version of creative expression. I do not say that my words are any more valid than anyone else's, but simply that they are my words and I dare to speak them in a society that otherwise may try to silence the likes of me. Thank you very much for listening. Jackie's uh, book, uh, Where I Come From, is available today for sale. However, uh, what I urge you to do is take the book and send a check to Nine Mile Press. The address is on the back of the book. Because technically, uh, and this is ever the case with me, um, I neglected to work <laughs> through the proper system. Uh, the bookstore at Syracuse University is the uh, the proper vendor, and I, of course, uh, as my grandmother once said of me, I, I could screw up a two-car funeral. Um, I neglected to do the right thing. So uh, as the publisher, I can say, co-publisher, I can say, take the book, we trust you, and uh, feel free to mail in a check to uh, Nine Mile Press. My own first book, Only Bread, Only Light, is over here on this uh, rack, and uh, I am giving it away. So please feel free to take a copy of my book, uh, as a freebie for coming, I'm going to do this at each of the readings, and also a uh, complimentary copy of Nine Mile Magazine. Uh, you may take one of those as well. So, thank you very much. Yes? And send work. And send work. Send work to Nine Mile Magazine. We're, uh, we're full of appetites. I wrote this poem this morning. Autumn Mirror. After summer came and went, and some were ill, and some were in love, many traveled. The world was unsafe or generous. I wept as men do, choking in my white room as the spread out abstract gas of war suffused every inch of me so that my obedient hands became war hands, my neck a battle neck, my tongue dipped to atrocities like a bee ignorant of its flower, unable to distinguish where it's been or what lies ahead. Do you see, it said, my tongue, how the body, even in repose, even with this poetry, is just a warlord's gavel. With one eye up close, I can read for short periods. So this is called Learning Braille at 39. 
The dry universe gives up its fruit. Black seeds are raining. Pascal dreams of a wristwatch. And heaven help me, the metempsychosis of book is upon me. I hunch over it. The boy in the asylum whose fingers leapt for words. In the dark, books are living things, quiescent as cats. Each time we lift them, we feel again the ache of amazement under summer stars. It's a dread thing to be lonely without reason. My window stays open and I study late as quick musical laughter rises from the street and I rub grains of the moon in my hand. So I made a mistake. I make many. But uh, I scheduled this event today uh, not realizing it was Rosh Hashanah for which I feel a degree of strickenness. I will not make that mistake again. So this is a little poem called Guess. It's about hearing music on the radio and not knowing what it is and not having time to figure it out and then thinking about it all day. But you'll see why I'm reading it. Guess. Because waking, the radio low, I've heard music by unnamed composers. The puzzle of melody returns me to the viola, kol nidre, or the oldest songs of the Finns. The fields are swept by a music, half heard when rising. No sound, blue intervals, then the next phrase. While rain streaks the windows, and the vibrato of recurrent wind tells of the waning moon and Mendelssohn's fiddle. It's a private, chalked-out game as December collects and snow begins. All morning I carry other people's words, advance the clock, talk through habit. But early, the music lets me stand, freed from opinion, into guess, a place I need as some need ends. I walk between pillars of silk, hear the rhapsody of Solomon, the Hebraic dawn opens again, a windfall, and I hesitate. So the first book I tried to read in Braille <laughs> was Dante's Paradiso. <laughs> Dante's, Dante's Paradiso read poorly in Braille. Each morning I live with less color. The lawn turns gray. The great laurel is gravid with flint as if it might burn in the next life. Even the persimmon tree is clear as a wine glass stem. In Paradiso, a river of hosts opens to the poet who begs and prays for an illumined soul. And I saw light that took a river's form, light flashing reddish gold between two banks, painted with wonderful spring flowerings. Finger reading, a tempered exercise, I notice how dark 
the window has become, though it's noon and August and daylight still resists winter. I bow my head, return to the book. Poor poet, he hurries to the river and into the river, his eyes as wide as a man can make them. The long sunlight of late summer floods the rhododendrons. This is the light that pulls him under the stream, hands, lips, fingers opening. The river and the gems of topaz entering and leaving and the grasses laughter, these are shadows, prefaces of their truth. I strain for color, the preclusion of sight and put aside the book, Paradiso in Braille. Who the hell is this? Turning again to the window, his fingers reaching the sill, hands still touching a river that no one can see. So this is a poem uh, dedicated to my first guide dog. Her name was Corky. She's about to have a whole new book all about her, forthcoming from uh, Simon & Schuster called uh, Have Dog Will Travel, A Poet's Journey. And it's about the years I spent with her traveling to seven countries in 47 US states. So it's a very spiritual dog book. Uh, this is a poem to her I used to live in the metro New York area. We went to Manhattan together a lot. Guiding eyes, quirky, a yellow Labrador. It's been five years since I was paired with this dog who in fact is more than a dog. She watches for me. Our twin minds go walking and I suspect as we enter the subway on Lexington that we're a kind of centaur or maybe two owls riding the shoulders of Minerva. The traffic squalls and plunges at Columbus Circle, seethes down Broadway, and we step out into the blackness that alarmed Pascal, the emptiness between stars. I suppose we're scarcely whole if I think on it. We walk on a dead branch, two moths still attached, the inert day poised above us, the walls of the canyon looming. Did I think on it? A blessing opens by degrees, and I must walk both bodily and ghostly down Fifth Avenue, increasing my devotion full much to the postulate of arrival, to how I love this inexhaustible dog who leads me past jackhammers and the police barriers of New York. All day, snow falls on the disorderly crowds. It clothes Miss Corky until her tawny fur carries the silky dirt of ocean and stone. The centaur gathers what passes from our flesh into the heart of animal faith. Meanwhile, she guides me home.
think I should read something funny. I'm going to endeavor to read something funny. Are you hearing me okay? Yeah, just the screen is off. Uh-huh, okay. Bear with me here. All right, here we go. Is that all right? Do you want me to stop? You sure? So this is a little prose poem, I think. I never know. And it has the workmanlike title, February 1979. Someday it will have a better title. Uh, I was in Iowa City, Iowa that year in graduate school. The snow was waist high in Iowa City. I had influenza. I had an apartment that always smelled of cooking gas, but the gas company couldn't find anything wrong. I had a headache that wouldn't go away. I didn't even own a radio. I got dressed badly the way you do when you're ill and went out into the slanted gray winter streets, walking the unshoveled sidewalks, all in search of a radio. There was still a mom and pop television repair shop on Lynn Street, a quarter of a mile from my place. The kind of store with a bell on the door and a yellowed flag in the window, Zenith, the quality goes in before the name goes on. <laughs> I had the chills. I was pretty sure I was walking straight, though I felt like I was tilting sideways. My hair appeared electrified. The man behind the counter looked askance, a pawnbroker's stare. I'm sure he thought I wanted to pawn some silver. But all I wanted was a radio. He told me the hard truth. We don't have no radios, only TVs. His televisions were displayed like secondhand furniture. They even looked like secondhand furniture, old cabinet jobs big as family-style electric organs. I was sweating. I thought about having a TV that doubled as a musical instrument. I was staring at a murky lake bottom. I had the flu. I was legally blind and on the verge of fainting among boxy television sets. I asked for a chair. The proprietor hastily produced a metal folding chair. I was feeling like typhoid Mary. I sat down, told the man I would take a portable TV. He brought out a weird bake-light black and white job with a leather strap on top and a pair of bent rabbit ears, and I gave him 30 bucks and staggered out the door. The thing was heavier than it looked. It weighed as much as a bushel basket of apples. I staggered, stopped wheezed, clutched the thing with all my strength. There was nowhere to put it down in a world of snow. Walked achingly, nauseous, 
step by step through drifting snow with the TV in my shaking arms and home again in my gassy atelier. I plugged it in, adjusted the bent antennae, and saw the way blind people do, a report from Tehran, the Ayatollah triumphant in a sea of people, an ocean of the black garbed in the midday sun. There was a stubborn humming from the TV that obscured any words the announcer may have spoken. All right, I'll close with one, one more here. I wrote this for the uh, poet Doug Anderson, whose work is featured in the latest issue of Nine Mile Magazine. And he is a, a Vietnam War vet, really wonderful poet. He, he posted on Facebook that he needed a writing prompt. And I was at the McDowell Colony for the Arts in New Hampshire, uh, avoiding my own work, looking at the internet, <laughs> which you're not supposed to do in an arts colony, but that's what I was doing. So I thought, aha, I'll write him a poem called The Writing Prompt. The Writing Prompt for Doug Anderson. Think about the pressure that makes each fact float. High-rise buildings at the edge of blank. In my case, Helsinki, the apartment complex's post-war vaguely Stalinist, a good place for electroshock, and the architect now in a madhouse. 4A stands where once in 38 they made machine guns, and a row of bicycles waits like old horses queuing for hay. Children pitch coins at the bus stop, Flickering faces share structural damage from repeated loading. Half the locals have turned to stones or worse. My trick was to rise early, walk out into one of those photos from the last century, forget the hell of nothing, and show off my brand new suit to a circle of crows. I was young back then and used to think about two truths approaching, money and labor, music and envy, tautological, drunk, seeing the stains through wallpaper, blind, of course, pushed across the streets by strangers. What a muddle. Think about the pressure that makes each fact float. Think about the invisible ink invented by George Washington. And remember, despite his caution, our first president also wrote in code. Thank you.
came out into the darkness. see or don't see has to do with uh, buildings and other obstacles and so I can see a little bit now but if I turn a corner into a place where something is blocking the light uh, I see nothing so it's always mysterious and at Columbus Circle in New York which is a very dangerous place to cross suddenly I can't see anything and Corky is was as all guide dogs are trained to evaluate whether it's safe to go or not so you're attached to a dog, and you just say, because you think it's okay, you say forward, and the dog goes if it's safe, or it does not go if it is not safe. But that's a moment of tremendous faith in the creature beside you. And I thought of Blaise Pascal, who is terrified by the blackness between stars. So I mentioned the emptiness between stars. is being quirky. Also tell you who's going to win the World Series. <laughs> so if you want to make bets now, who's it going to be? The Houston Astros. <laughs> and I'm a Red Sox fan. <laughs> yes. So, um, Steve, did you um, grow up? Here, you take this. I oh. feel like I'm on the Price Is Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, um, did you grow up bilingual, or did you learn one language? I forgot to mention, uh, we have students here today from the English Language Institute uh, who have come out today to uh, hear poetry, which must be really kind of like, they're in jazz backwards uh, when, you're, when you're learning a different language. Uh, remember when we played Beatles albums backwards? Yeah. Uh, turn me off that man. Uh, so we have English language learners here today. I learned Finnish as a child because my father was Finnish and we lived in Helsinki. And I spent the rest of my life forgetting lots of it, though I read it pretty well. Uh, and I can make taxi drivers laugh. Um, you know, but I'm not fluent anymore. But I can translate uh, literature from it uh, for the most part. I also, uh, I read French pretty well. But when I try to speak it, French people fall over dead. This is a monkey python joke. I have the killer accent. Bonjour. Uh, other, other questions? Thoughts? Uh, so I'm delighted to say that we have uh, subsequent poetry readings and uh, we have a flyer here, and uh, the next one will be on September 29th, which is just a week from today, and it will feature Syracuse University's own Michael Burkhard, who's a wonderful poet, and uh, David Weiss, a terrific poet from just up the road at Hobart and William Smith Colleges, and they're going to come down here, and uh, <laughs> they're both terrific. Uh, then on October 13th, we have Patrick Williams and Bob Hurst, uh, which I'm excited about. 
And then on October 20th, we have Georgia Popoff and Phil Memmer. And so this is our inaugural uh, semester of poetry readings. I'm hoping that this, uh, that the wings sprout and that we can continue this uh, uh, in the spring. Thank you all for coming. Just wonderful. Next time, bring big, greasy, sloppy lunches. <laughs> Thank you.